podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's up, Knight fans? Sons of UCF is proudly presented by the law firm of Gordon and Partners. Since 1993, Gordon and Partners have been dedicated to the pursuit of justice for those who have been wrongfully injured at no fault of their own. It's important that you get legal advice from somebody you trust, so contact UCF alum Michael Hoffman directly if you have any legal needs or questions. Visit their website, fortheinjured.com, or text 407-913-5350 to talk to Michael directly. Don't just trust anybody. Trust the best. And trust a knight. Gordon and Partners. For the Injured. This is the Sons of UCF, the number one place for UCF sports, with your distinguished host, Adam. Let's all get together and see who can solve the wordle the fastest. And Mike. You know, last year, I think I said about 30 people in the UCF, Sons of UCF group. Let's try to double that. Let's try to get 50. Now, here are the guys. All right, Sons of UCF, we are back. And this is big. Trace. By the way, Trace is with me this evening. Mike uh, on assignment elsewhere. So Trace is with me. Trace, this is big. I think I was going through the Sons of UCF records. I think this may be the tallest guest <laughs> we've ever had. Going through, we've had AJ Davis. I looked him up. He's like 6'8". I think this may be the tallest. Taco Fall not yet having appeared on the Sons of UCF. I think this may take the cake, Trace, as the tallest, uh, tallest guest we've ever had. Uh, a contender for sure, right? What uh, you, you mentioned the short list. Who else would be on that list, right? Well, this this, this man is no short list, Trace. And uh, without further ado, with all of our stupid jokes out of the way, happy to welcome Ryan Swoboda to uh, to the Sons of UCF. Ryan, first off, we appreciate you taking some time. I know you wrapped up with a lot of things. Uh, you were playing in a bowl this week. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, first off, thanks for taking time to join us on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Just don't ever bring Paul Rubelt on the show, and I'll I'll keep the title. Okay. And I see, is he taller than you? Is that, are we breaking news here? No, I probably shouldn't have said that. If anything, we're the same height, you know, he might be different, but I'll tell you. Yeah. Well, we trust you for right now because you're the one on the show and he's not. So I I will take your word for it. And that's actually where I went to start, Ryan. I was doing some research, kind of reading up about you. And I read that you didn't take up football until what freshman year of high school. And obviously you were a, a pretty, uh, pretty big basketball player. Obviously your size and uh, your height probably make that, uh, make that make sense. Talk to me about how did you decide to play football? How did you decide to, to go in that direction and maybe give up basketball when, in all intents and purposes, you have the, you know, the, the actual body frame that most NBA teams would love to have on their roster? Right. Well, I mean, nowadays in the NBA, if you're 6'10", you're, you got like a Kevin Durant skill set. So not as easy as it sounds. But, <laughs> yeah, I usually just tell people um, I fouled out of every game in high school, which is pretty much true. So made it kind of easy. But no, um, I love football. I, I love, you know, there's a difference between football players and basketball players. And I always wanted to be a football player. Um, I didn't start playing actually until um, my sophomore year of high school. So hmm. I started playing then um, as a recruited a little bit for basketball. Um, but then when I started just gaining away from football, I think basketball coaches were kind of like, okay, this guy just wants to play football because he's gaining like 25 pounds in off season and basketball players usually don't do that. So um, I just love football. I always love football. Um, I tried to take some football mindsets into basketball and that resulted in me. I probably hold the record for Winnipeg prep basketball, most fouls in a season. So, um, <laughs> I take a lot of pride in that. Yeah. I, were, were there coaches trying to talk you out of that decision? Were there football coaches who said, look at six we're not quite sure if you can, you can play football. Were there people who kind of doubted that you could make that transition? 
No, I mean, if you can bend, you can play. Um, so there are guys 6'5 who would be stiff, and there are guys taller who can bend, you know. So it's, it's just about being able to bend. If you can bend, you can play. Um, no, not really. People are trying to talk me out of it. I don't think any football coach tried to talk me out of it. Basketball coaches definitely did. I won't name the school, but there was a basketball coach who was actually recruiting me um, well into my senior year. And I, won, and I was kind of, okay, yeah, cool. Like, you know, well, maybe, maybe I'll play basketball. I don't know. And then one day I just sent him my huddle highlights for football. And I said, hey, man, do you think you could show this to your football coach? I want <laughs> he didn't reply. <laughs> and that was the end of me being recruited there. But, um, yeah, no, um, no football coach has really tried to talk me out of it. They all, they like the the potential and, you know, I can put on weight and, you know, I can hold weight well and stuff like that. So, yeah. You, you talked about putting on weight, but what about height? Would you going into high school? What was your height? And do you have some growth spurts there throughout the, your high school years? Yeah, I had like a two year span. So in eighth grade, I was six, three. And then my freshman year of high school, I was six, eight. So that was, yeah. And, you know, it takes like a year or two to grow into that too. So, um, yeah, that was my big growth spurt. Um, yeah, that was, that was crazy. My knees still hurt from that, I think. Uh, you mentioned the fouls, but what kind of player were you uh, for fans that watched you back in those days? Well, state champions 2016. So, yeah, maybe a few fans there. But, yeah, I, I could be a stretch four. I was a stretch four for a little bit. Got, got that corner jump shot. Um Finisher, rebounder, um, elite passer. I, I got some great passes. Shot blocker. Yeah, if there's a title, I think I've held it. Yeah. Anything but ball handler and um, shot creator. Everything else, I think. Any dunks? Oh, any dunks. I got to jump like that high to dunk. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, I was like my sophomore year, I was 6'8", 170, which is what Brandon Ingram was when he left Duke, same height and weight, 6'8", 170. And I went and I started at right tackle at 6'8", 170 um, from my high school, the small school. But, yeah, that was – and I just gained weight from there. But I, if I don't look like a football player now, I definitely don't look like one back then. What were some of the schools recruiting you for basketball? Yeah, smaller schools, Tennessee State, um, stuff like that. Yeah, I don't even remember. so long ago. I was in college for six years, so I don't even remember high school no more. <laughs> Okay, let, let's get to college, obviously. Uh, so you, you started to go all in on football. You started getting some football offers. Was UCF a, a school that offered you right out of high school? Were, were they a school in the mix for you at all? Was that a school on your radar as you were kind of making that decision? Yeah, it was on my radar. I mean, so Winter Prep's probably 40 minutes away from UCF. Oh, I wish I could have gone to UCF right out of high school. I had um, a Virginia offer, a Dartmouth offer, and a USF offer. And um, – I didn't want to go to USF. It's too far in Virginia. Well, yeah, one of those is not like the other. As I look at that list, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I would have probably gone to UCF just because it's so close to home and stuff like that. But um, it all worked out well. I had five great years at Virginia. Got to come back for um, my last year and play for UCF, and it worked out well. It was 2017, um, and UCF had talked to me a few times, but ultimately never offered. Um, so yeah, it just never happened. I wish I could have had six years here. So what went in, into your decision to pick Virginia? How did that become the school that you decided to go to? Well, so Dartmouth um, is, you know, Ivy League, so there's no real scholarship. So it's kind of hard um, financially to do that, to play football and go to Dartmouth. Um, Virginia's great academic school, ACC, Power Five, all that stuff. Um, 
high aspirations. I know if I want to go to the NFL, they had a great staff in terms of developing old linemen. They'd done that a lot. Um, and we all know U- USF. So, I mean, do I got to explain that? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I know. End of story. Yeah. No, yeah. Coach Malzahn, you'll hear him say awful lot about uh, the changing look of college football. Just how much has it changed in your, you said, six years? You think back to that recruiting period of time and, and you see what it's like now. Yeah, I mean, the transfer portal, that's uh, the big thing. I, I entered the portal. I did the whole portal thing. Um, I think the big thing is when you're, like, let's say I'm a sophomore and I have aspirations to be the starter, maybe somebody graduated, I'm no longer competing with, you know, the guy that was recruited with me, maybe a freshman and maybe an upperclassman, I'm competing with that room. I'm competing with pretty much everybody in the nation now for that spot because you can bring in so many people now. So um, from that aspect, it's a good thing, um, the transfer portal. Now, when people get screwed because they go in the portal and nobody, they get stuck in there, that's bad. Um, You know, some people might enter the portal kind of prematurely and just enter and because somebody didn't go their way and they end up entering three, four times. Um, if you graduate, I think you, you've given your four years to a school, you should be able to transfer. Um, you know, maybe you want a different look, a different scheme, whatever. Um, I think it's good in that, that aspect. So it's good and it's bad, but it's definitely different than um, 2017 when I started playing. UCF's done so much to build its brand. And now with the move to the Big 12, you know, there's always those comparisons to the Power Five schools. You've played for Virginia. You've played for UCF. How would you describe to a fan that difference from your perspective playing on those lines? Yeah. Um, I, like, I, I, you know, I'm on Twitter. I see all, all the stuff. And I see a lot of people saying, like, man, we're going Power Five. Like, you know, like it's some big Goliath thing. I don't think the jump is, is, you know, crazy. There are elite players at every level. And you know what I mean? I think the biggest difference is, is with depth. I think, you know, at some power five schools, you can go three, four deep at every position and still have very viable options everywhere. Um, not to say you can't do that in a conference like the AAC, but it's just a lot less of that. I think that's the biggest difference. I think um, across the board, you might have more talent at every position, but you're not seeing like, you know, this crazy unattainable talent once you just go to power five, you know what I mean? Like we've played power five schools and, and stuff like that. I don't think it's this crazy jump. You know, I played, you know, I was at Virginia five years. I played for three um, and I came here and I don't, I don't think it's this like, yeah, huge difference. But you mentioned the portal, Ryan, when, when you decided to enter the portal, what were you looking for in your next school? And what did UCF kind of check the box for you that made you comfortable to say that you want to come down and be a knight? Yeah, when I entered the portal, so I, I was lucky. I had a lot of film. I had good film and, and all that stuff. So um, a lot of schools had reached out to me. At Virginia, we, we threw the ball like a ton, like 50, 60 dropbacks a game and all that. So I, I kind of got a rep as a pass blocking specialist. I can't run blocking. You know, once you get a reputation, it's easy to live up to a reputation. It's hard to build one, but it's easy to live up to one. So I kind of got the rep as, okay, he's a pass blocking tackle, not a great run blocker. And I love to run block. Like, I was like, hey, I don't know where, where, where people are getting this from. So when I entered the portal, a lot of air raid type schools, a lot of schools looking for a pass protecting tackle had reached out to me. Um, and that's something I didn't want to do. It's more fun as an old lineman to get off the ball and hit somebody and create something as opposed to, drop back, sit on a bull rush, you know, 
that's not as fun. Um, you know, running power, running outside zone, inside zone, all that is way more fun. So, um, coach, I told that to coach, I told that to every coach and coach Malzahn said, you know, we, we want to run the ball. We want to run behind you. We want to do this. Um, and I think we're the number seven rushing offense in the, in the country this year. Um, so we got to run the ball at a difference in scheme and I got to put some stuff on film, um, run blocking as opposed to what I had done in pass blocking. So really scheme fit was a big thing and, um, it worked out really well. You know, I got to play with some really good players. Tell us about your position coach, coach Herb Hand. He's, uh, he's, he's big on Twitter, dude alerts all over Twitter. Uh, tell us a little dude bit about what it's, what it's when like. I got what it's like. Dude alert, that was like <laughs> one of the best days of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coach Hand is great. Um, very, very loud in a good way. Um, you know, on the field, he, he's going to have really high expectations for you. Something I really appreciate about Coach Hand is he's got these, like I said, high expectations for you. But if he expects you to do that, he is going to do everything in his power to be the best possible position coach. He says he expects us to be the best possible line we can be. And I know he does everything he can to be the best position coach. I mean, you see it in recruiting, but when we're talking about grading film, looking for new techniques, anything he can to help us, new drills, stuff like that. He does that. Like he, I don't think he ever sleeps. Um, he is, yeah, he works really hard. And I've been able to have just heart to heart talks with him just as a person. And, you know, a lot of position coaches wouldn't do that. A lot of position coaches don't have an open door policy where, you know, if I, I think, man, you know, we should be doing this or man, I don't like this or whatever. I'm having a hard time with this. I have, you know, I feel so open that I could just talk to him about that anytime. Um, and that's not common in college football, but that's definitely how Coach Hand is. Was that a first for you? Did you have that open door policy experience in Virginia? Oh, I was so lucky. I've had the two best offensive line coaches in the country. In my, I've had two line coaches ever, and I just so happen to have the two best ever. So Garrett Tuja was my old coach. I had him all five years, and same exact thing. So I kind of knew what to look for in an line coach. They're actually buddies, Coach Tuja and Coach Hand. Coach Tuja actually helped introduce me to Coach Hand um, back when I was at Virginia. So um, worked out well. I want to ask about the, the mechanics of the transfer portal. So you, you make that decision to enter it. And in UCF's case, who, who reaches out to you first? What's that communication like? Okay. So I remember I entered the portal. I, I decided on a Monday I was going to enter the portal. Tuesday, I walk into a compliance office and I fill out some paperwork at like 11 a.m. At 4, at 4 p.m., my phone just starts blowing up. That's basically how it goes. The paperwork takes like five, six hours to go through. And then once the paperwork's through, schools start hitting you up. And usually um, some schools will send you an email. A lot of it happens on Twitter now to where you'll have a GA, an analyst, somebody will follow you. And it's kind of like a cat and mouse kind of thing. Like you follow them back to, okay, this guy might be interested. Like let's look more into <laughs> Speed <him."> dating here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, some schools you don't follow back and that's the end of it. Maybe I'll follow back the GA and the analyst and then, position coach will follow you back then the offensive coordinator and then if the head coach follows you you know you might as well have an offer at that point um but that's kind of how it goes you just follow back they'll reach out and they'll be like hey saw you're in the portal love your film what are you looking for in a school you tell them and you know if it's a match you keep going but yeah it is a lot like speed dating and for me it happened all on twitter well in the case of ucf when asked what are you looking for in a school what was your answer there having spent that time at virginia yeah, scheme. Scheme was the biggest thing. I want to run the football. Um, I want a position coach who um, is really um, 
keen at developing and taking you to the next level. Um, I want it on the academic side. I want to be able to get my master's degree in one year. Um, I'm trying to remember this so long ago. Um, well, this wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to compete for a championship. I, I was lucky enough to be able to do that at Virginia in my early years. We kind of, you know, we were right around 500. We we're 500 my last year, um, and I wanted to go somewhere and win a championship. Um, so we, you know, we we're competitive all year, and I chose UCF. And, you know, we're one game away. What's it like being the new guy again, right? You, you'd already been to school for five years. You come to UCF. Now you're the new guy again, new teammates, new coaches. What was that transition period like for you, walking in the locker room, meeting your teammates for the first time? How long until you really felt like, okay, I'm comfortable here. I know these these fellows. I know this team. This is this is home for me. Yeah, no, it, it's different, especially being at you know Virginia for five years and being a leader within that locker room and coming to a different locker room. But I think, you know, everybody respects hard work. Everybody respects, okay, this guy knows football. He knows what he's doing. He's not in here to, you know, just be a slappy and just mess around. He wants to wants to win. He wants to help us. Um, everybody's going to respect that. So um, the offensive line was really the first group. Lakai, Paul, Matt, all those guys, Ed, they all, Sam, yeah, they all welcomed me really quickly. And at first we had winter workouts where, you know, if I was in there and I'm just dead last in the runs and, you know, my lifts are weak and I'm skipping reps and stuff. Okay. Yeah. But that's, that's when you get to earn respect. So I got to do that. I got to try and earn respect there. Spring ball comes around, same thing. I get to show, you know, what kind of player I am, earn respect that way. And I think by about the middle of spring ball, I think, I hope, I hope everybody knew what I was kind of about. Um, and yeah, I would say around spring ball, that was when I was kind of just fully flushed in the locker room. And to this day, I've got like, you know, lifelong friends I made uh, within the last year. Much is made in college football about learning new offenses, learning new systems. As someone who's had to do it, how difficult is it to leave one system that you were in Virginia, come to UCF? How long does it take you to sort of pick up the system, learn the protections, learn the calls, the checks? How long a period of time is that? How much work do you have to put in to get to a spot where you feel like you're competent in that system? That is a great question. Yeah, that was I was nervous about that. Um, when I was at Virginia, after like my second year, like I could do it with my eyes closed. I had the same OC all five years. So I knew the offense. I knew all of that stuff. Um, when I came to UCF and, you know, different scheme, Coach Malzahn's playbook is very intricate. Um, so when I got here, my mom and I actually, we bought a whiteboard. And I wrote like kind of like the all the basic concepts. And I just would have my mom just be like, just pick anything on there. And I'm just going to tell you the name of the player or vice versa. It's kind of like a in-person Quizlet kind of thing. And I was up just so late trying to get all that because, like I said, I don't want to be the guy who I'm in the third day of spring ball and everybody knows the playbook and I'm in there going, you know, to my guards, you know, what are we doing here? Like, where, where do I go? <laughs> block that guy? Okay, I'll block that guy. You know, I, you, you can't do that. Yeah, I think you get like one freebie of those in your time. Yeah. And I, I've done that in games. I've I've gone to the guy was like, dude, what are we doing? Like, where do we go? <laughs> But yeah, um, just trying to learn that. So a lot of late nights and then, you know, I kind of learn doing things in person. So once I got out on the field, I got to run the plays and understand, okay, this is what we're trying to do. I got to do this. Um, it was easy, but probably, probably about a week to two weeks of just grinding and being uncomfortable with that. 
maybe longer than to develop the communication and the camaraderie amongst the group. We would hear from coaches in media availabilities that that communication needed to come along and it was coming along. How would you describe that process? Yeah, yeah. So me and Lakai were next to each other and Lakai's played a lot of football. I played a lot of football, but we'd never played football next to each other within the scheme and all of that stuff. Um, so we were, we were talking all spring. Well, I like this, you know, I like this. I want to do it like this. I'm, I'm comfortable with this. And it just takes reps to just gel. And I got to know what he's going to do. And he's got to know what I'm thinking and, and stuff like that. Um, so it takes so many reps of that. I remember actually at the beginning of fall camp, uh, we're doing some drills and it happened like three times in one day where I just felt like right over his feet, like we just stepped on each other. And it happened like three times where it's like, I'm like, well, I know he didn't technically do anything wrong and I didn't technically do anything wrong, but I keep stepping on his foot. Like, you know, that, that, that sucks. So just under, you know, I'm just saying, Oh, he actually likes to step like this. And actually is good for me. I can step like that on uh, overlap like this. Um, but that takes reps to know what he's comfortable with. And it takes reps for him to know what I'm comfortable with. And when you've never played against, with each other and you, 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 you get used to playing with other people, it's challenging, but, uh, by the end of the season, when we got it going, we, we got it going. I, I, we had some great combo blocks, some great, great blocks. Um, I, I, we had great chemistry there by, you know, probably like week four or five. In what ways would you say you most improved over the course of this season? In ways you were challenged to, to grow as a football player? Yeah. Um, I'll get pretty specific here. Um, so backside of inside zone, we ran the heck out of inside zone this year at UCF um, in that backside double team. When you go four down, you either have a three tech or like a two eye kind of thing an inside shade on the, the guard. So my footwork, when you're running on the backside of inside zone, I, it, it's, it's kind of weird for me. Like I would step and I'd get my base narrow and I just, I never was really comfortable. I would just think about, yeah, I just want to destroy this three technique um, to the best of my ability so being able to kind of slow down, have a base, let Lakai set it up. I come and I overlap behind him, and we move that double team back to the um, to the linebacker we're working to. Um, so as the year went on, me on the backside of that inside zone block, um, I got way more comfortable with it. We got way better at it. Um, so that's something that I think um, as the year went on, I definitely got better. This year, Ryan, obviously there was a, uh, I'll call it a quarterback battle at some point, right? With John Rice, Paul and Mikey Keene, two very different quarterbacks. As an offensive lineman, how were their styles sort of different for you, right? Obviously, John Rice, heck of an athlete, will run, will move quickly. Mikey paid more in the pocket. How did that kind of change what you have to do, depending on who is back at quarterback? Yeah, a lot of people talk about pocket passer versus um, dual threat. And it's definitely a little different, maybe a a dual threat guy will drift in the pocket. They'll make more plays. You got to hold your block a little longer. Beyond that, there's really not a difference, at least in my mind. Um, you know, it's no fun when you have a, a stick in the mud quarterback who's going to stand at his spot and he will not move. But Mikey can move. You know what I mean? Mikey wasn't slow in any by any stretch. Um, I mean, there would be times where I'd be blocking and, you know, it's third quarter. I've run like 75 plays so far, be exhausted. And I'll look back and go, that Mikey in the game? Like, wait, wait a minute. I wouldn't even know sometimes. So, I mean, it just kind of happens like that. Um, I mean, their cadence isn't really that different. Um, you know, they're both leaders in their own way. Um, but other than, you know, sometimes JRP is going to run and make a play that Mikey might kind of move in the pocket and wait to throw it a little bit longer. 
I don't, I don't think there's too much of a difference. And so early in your UCF career, second game of the year against Louisville, you got called for what is a really, <laughs> really tough holding penalty. Take us through that play let's if you could. Film of it. Let's let's watch it. Why not? <laughs> take right? us take us through that play if you could. What you remember and kind of what the you know what what the after there conversation there some was like. Words that I'm not going to repeat on the podcast, but okay. we'll uh, we'll go there. Shoot, yeah, my second game. Um, you don't want to see my DMs after that game on Instagram. Oh mm. my god, yeah, we got. I mean, we got some passionate fans, but you know, on the other end of the stick, you, you got some passionate fans. I mean. Yeah, it sucked. I don't think it was holding to this day. I mean, it was so ticky-tacky. Um, I mean, let, let's just go through it. In my mind, here's what's going on. Um, we're, we're in slide protection, right? So I got a four-eye on me, which means I'm a right tackle. He's on an inside shade of me. It's a relatively easy block in football. So I step down. I get nose-to-nose with him like we're trained. And I go two hands under. I got my hands in here like this. And I'm thinking, man. I'm blocking this dude up. Like, this is this is awesome, man. This is an easy block. I'm chilling. Quarterback rolls out this way, um, moves. It's a, you know, sit in the pocket. But, you know, when you got a quarterback who's making plays, they're going to move. Quarterback rolls out. I'm sitting here. Guy starts to move. I go like this, and I just let go. And the referee sees that motion, and I suppose that warrants calling back a 75-yard touchdown for some reason. Um they were ACC refs. I have had my experiences with ACC refs. I think maybe they had recognized me from my time at Virginia. I got a lot of conspiracies about what had really went on in there. Um, I, you know, I saw a D lineman running to give him a $50 bill after that had happened. You know, nobody talks about that. Um, but God, that, that's like, you know, when you have so much pride in what you do as an, like I work all day for this, like, and I, I came here to win I wanted to go undefeated. I wanted to be the best possible lineman I could be to help the team. It's my second game. It's really the first like true game at the bounce house. And I'm like, God, I just want to, I want to put up with these fans. I've been working all off season. I worked at six years for this. Right. And fans don't really know me at this point. It's my second game really. And everybody knows me. You're the guy that lost a game for against Louisville. Right. And I'm just on here and I just turn off Twitter, but I know what's going on. Twitter. I haven't on Twitter long enough to know like what's going on. My name is being dragged through the mud, and I did not sleep that night. Like I remember, like four a.m. I'm just lying there, like we just lost to Louisville. I got called for holding, um, and it's just so hard when you know. I'll, I will say the the team really rallied. Like, yeah, it's a BS call. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter, but um, it's hard to block out that that outside noise as well. You you know you feel like all of Orlando wants you exiled. Um, well, that is hard, but um, when you got the team that rallies around, you say, hey, man, I messed this up too, and this happened, and this happened. Um, it makes it a little bit easier, and all you can do is control what you can control. Going to the next week, I think we played um, – I don't know who we played, but um, – FAU. Who was that? FAU. We played FAU, yeah. So just move on to FAU, put good stuff on film. Um, and I thought I had played well at Louisville, but, you know, of course, when you're an old lineman – um, you play 90 snaps a game and you have one play that everybody remembers and oh, dude, you suck. And that's how it always is. And that's, that's part of being an alignment. You know what I mean? I think if you haven't got nasty DMS, I don't think you've really started enough games as an offensive line. That's just the way that it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did coaches grade that? 
game and that play in particular? Do you remember? Um, I, I don't want to get into that. There are some intricacies with, with stuff like that that I don't want to. I don't want to get into that one. But I mean, no, not there was no like, man, dude, you you got, yeah, you know, like what are you doing here? There's nothing like that. It was, I mean, we could pull the film up. It was so ticky tacky. You know, they call it, they call it ticky tacky. I probably shouldn't say bad things about referees. I love referees. I, <laughs> I appreciate the hard work that they do and them going to Foot Locker and buying their uniforms and completing their 45 <laughs> minute course. I appreciate the work that they do. I do. Yeah. Uh, you say you heard from some UCF fans in the Twitter mafia and other social media uh, outlets. Uh, how would you describe the fan base? Uh, it, it moved along and be more supportive of you as the season went along? I mean, you're an old lineman, you know, if you're if you're an old lineman and you're looking for fans to validate the work that you're doing, oh, you're going to be you're going to be miserable. Yeah, you can't do that. Um, you know, I kind of let that seep into my brain a little bit after the Louisville game of just being, you know, I really let that affect me. God, you know, I let the fans down and all of this stuff. Right. Because, um, yeah, fans are passionate. I've been a fan. I know what it's like to, you know, be a fan and you're angry and you're yelling at the TV or whatever. Um but yeah, I mean, Twitter. I mean, I, there are some great fans. A lot of people reach out to me and you know say congrats and all that stuff, and I love the fans. But yeah, there's definitely a couple of those um, egg um, anonymous burner accounts that you know I'm like, I wonder who this could be that'll reach into your your DMs and say some choice words. You think about how much football you played. Uh, so talk a little bit about a guy named Sam Jackson and how much time he logged in a UCF uniform. Sam's a man. Yeah. Sam is great. Um, I'm good friends with Sam. Um, Sam's the second best poker player on the team. So that's cool. I'm first, obviously. Um, a lot of good matches with Sam. Um, Sam really helped me with the playbook when I first got there. He helped me um, just kind of understand how things work. You know, he kind of showed me around the facility, stuff like that. Um, Sam's the leader of the group. Sam did a great job this year. Um, yeah, Sam's a guy. He's a heck of a football player. He's going to play for a really long time. Ryan, what kind of game was more fun for you? A game like Temple where we win 70-13 or a game like Cincinnati where it's 25-21, you know, last second kind of game or a game like against the Cows where they come back and we have to win as a player. Is it more fun to have that blowout and just start having some fun? Or do you like those close games where, you know, the team perseveres in the end? <sighs> What do you like better? I got to think about that. Temple. I mean, oh, Temple was a breeze. Temple. Are you kidding me about the second quarter? I had my, my feet were up. I had, I had a drink in my, I was good. Yeah, I was good. Cincinnati. I, I was jumping up and down. I was screaming on top of the bounce house. It was, it was not pretty. So definitely not the game against the cows. That was too close and just scary. And yeah, I mean, the hauler catch was, was awesome, but no, not that game. Um, I think, like Cincinnati, just because, you know, when you're you're down, you're at home, you feel like everybody's watching. From my perspective as an old lineman, everybody in the stadium knows, okay, it's probably third and long, you're passing. This is for the game. This is where money's made. You know what I mean? Like you're you're pass setting, this is all the pressure. I think that's why you play football. I mean, now if we had lost, I'd be like, man, forget that. I wish we had blown them out. But it's fun when you know, you get that last drive, and that can be like a season-defining thing when you're like, yeah, you remember when we were down against Cincinnati on our own 18-yard line, and we marched right down there, and we scored to win the game? 
God, that, that's like lifelong memory. I'll probably, I mean, I'll probably remember too. Like, remember that time we scored 70 points? That was really cool. But no, <laughs> I'll go Cincinnati. All right, I've got to ask this question. I already yeah, know what your answer. Yeah, I have yeah, to. I have. I absolutely have to. I know your answer. I know what it's going to be. So, I, but I need to ask it. You're on Twitter, so I know you see some of the stuff. A lot of rumors floating around after the ECU game. A lot of conspiracy theories. A lot of people with their their own little um, ideas of what may happen. What, if anything, can you share with us? Are you willing to share with us about the ECU game? I love a good conspiracy theory. Oh, I. Yes. You came to the right place then. You came to the right place. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm on Twitter. Following that game for probably two weeks, I was, I was, oh, I believed it. Most definitely. I was, God, man, those little dirty dogs, they did that. But um, at the NFL PA Bowl, um, ECU's quarterback, along with one of their old linemen, um, a couple other guys were there. So their quarterback was my quarterback in the game. Um, and we talked for a long time about that game. Um, and obviously denied it. Hmm. And I have no evidence to support nor deny, but I, I still believe in a conspiracy here and there, but I don't know. I have no evidence to share other than that. They denied it adamantly and they were shocked that I would even accuse them of such a thing. So that's all as a, as a player that night, could you, did it feel different? Did it feel like, man, they, they well, really had that had one blocked up? Turnovers on our first three drives and two <laughs> yeah. routes. I mean, no, no, that never happened, right? <laughs> Was it talked about amongst the team? No. Coaches ever address it? No, I, I only knew about it from Twitter. I know. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you uh, when you look at Twitter. Uh, a lot of times you go, boy, the fans, you're, you're really off base, guys. I wish I could tell you more, but you're really All off the base. Time. Oh, yeah. I'm like, God, I wish I could just drop a little nugget in here and just see the world explode. But no, I can't do that. What's, what's the biggest mis- misconception that, you, that you've read on Twitter that you're like, man, you, you people are way off? You, you, you should have given me some warning on that one. I, I can't think of anything right now. I don't know. Yeah. How many times when you were at the podium and – you know, members of the media would ask you questions. Did you say, you, you guys, you really don't have the whole story. If you knew more, you might yes, ask a better yes, question here. Not at all the time, Trace. I just, get, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I get up, I just get up there and um, I just, you know how I am at the point. I just kind of goof around and talk about whatever I want to talk about. Um, there has not been a time where a question would ask and I was like, ah, I got a lie right here. No, actually there was one time. I'm trying to remember what it was, but I remember leaving like, God, if I remember it, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back and tell you guys. But I remember there was a time I was kind of like, oh man, like, yeah, no, I got a lie right here. I don't remember what it was. I'm sorry. Yeah, if I remember, I'll tell you. Wow, Tracy got lied to. Um, <laughs> Ryan, what did you say to me? Didn't say to me. He was pointing yeah. at you. Um, right. What are your overall thoughts, Ryan, on NIL? Obviously, it, it's a conversation that's out there a lot now. The media blows that up probably a little bit as well. What are your thoughts on kind of NIL, what it was intended to be, and sort of what you've seen it become in, in your uh, in your last year here at UCF? I mean, I, I love money. I think it can be cool. Um, I mean, I think it's good. The amount of, of time and work and, you know, just mental stress that, that football puts on, and then on the back end of it, how much – money it makes and revenue there is and it's you know one of the few things in in our economy that's not a free enterprise like you know there's a ton of money to be made but the people putting in the work and the effort and the um i don't know what's the word creating the content i guess 
aren't getting compensated for it. It's one of the few places that that actually happens. Um, so I think NAL is a good step in the right direction. I think, you know, pay to play and, and stuff like that, it can get really bad really quick. Um, you know, I think if you're taking a hundred thousand dollars to go play somewhere and you end up having a holding penalty in week two against Louisville or something, you can, you know, um, you can end up feeling really bad. And then it's not just, man, he's just a kid. He messed up. No, at that point you're a professional and it's like, you know, people have expectations for you when money's being paid. Um, and that's not what college football is. College football shouldn't be, you know, such a professional sport where, you know, you feel like you can't afford something because, man, I didn't play well, so I can't afford this or I can't afford that. It shouldn't be that. Um, when we're talking about huge money that's being thrown around, I don't think that's good to be, you know, 19 years old and you got all this money, but um, you haven't really done a ton on the football field. Um, I think that long term is bad. And it's nice, you know, when you're 20 and you get some money, but um, I don't think that's good. So I don't know. Um, I had a, um, a couple of small NIL deals and it was fun. Um, but I think once you get past a certain point, it just becomes professional sports. And if it's a professional sport, we can just call it that. I mean, you know, the TV deals and the fans and all the you know stuff around it. I mean, you can argue it's, it's, this is pro sports, but then we got to have 50 other conversations that I know nothing about. So I don't know. One of the other fan Twitter myths would be that we all assume that every day you walk in the locker room, you all huddle up together and talk about your NIL deals. You've got your pads of paper down. You're keeping track of who's making what and whose oh, deals are what, right? That's yeah. what we all assume happens, Ryan. Can you, can you confirm that's what happens? <laughs> or how does the NIL conversation really work within the team within the locker room? Um, no, yeah, we, we absolutely we just get in a huddle and we just share <laughs> and then we get jealous about who makes more money. That's exactly what you know. Perfect, yeah. No, it's um, I mean, if you're if you got some some NIL money, I mean, you post your advertisement online and um, you don't want to talk about it too much because there might be other guys who don't get it and stuff like that. So um, kind of want to keep it on the low. You don't want to be bragging about it if you do. You know, you're probably not very well liked in the locker room. Um, so I would say it's very like just quiet. And, you know, I, I don't know anybody who's got, you know, any NIL deals. I know a few, but I don't know much about any of that. Um, yeah, very quiet. What you guys know about NIL is probably what we know. Like we see some guys post something on, on Instagram and that's pretty much the end of it. I want to ask you about some guys. Uh, you mentioned Lokai earlier. How important do you think it is for UCF moving into the Big 12 to have him returning on the line? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. Lakai's stud, like great, great offensive lineman, played for a long time, you know, first team all conference, made a lot of things happen. That's huge, and, and he's going to do great things in the Big 12. But as an O-line, as a unit, oh, it, it's exciting. I know, I think they got a, um, a O-line transfer today from Stanford, right? Yeah. Um, so I think they brought in four O-linemen, and I was able to reach out to a couple of those guys and just – talk back and forth about kind of, you know, I got to transfer and I had success here and, you know, how that process is like. So um, guy, guys coming in ready to play, we played a lot, really good players. But then you look at the unit that's coming back now. We talked about like guy. He's, he's a dude, right? But, you know, you look at the room, Paul Rubelts, that's like my best friend. He, he's, he's up and coming. Like I'm not going to talk about Paul because he's going he's gonna to open a lot of eyes. Um, then you look at guys that are coming back, um, Adrian Medley, he was in line to start before he had got injured. Um, he's going to do big things. He's ready to go. He's ready to roll. 
And then a guy who, you know, a lot of fans do not talk about, but have no clue how important he is to the team is Ed Collins. Ed is, Ed's a guy who at 85% of schools would start every single game. And Ed's had some injuries and stuff like that. Right. But, but what Ed does for us as a leader and in practice every single day, we don't win the amount of games that we won if Ed Collins is not on the team. Like Ed is the guy and Ed's coming back, Ed's back. And, you know, if Ed starts, he's going to, he's going to kill it. If Ed doesn't start, he's still going to be that leader in the room. You know, Ed started a lot of games and he's, um, oh, he's a guy where every day in practice, you know, he's helping me get better. And um, now he is invaluable to the team. I just, I, I wish Ed got the, the appreciation that, but when you're no lineman, you, you don't, you don't get that. But Ed is, Ed is the guy that, um, very, very important to the unit. He's going to help them win a lot more games this upcoming year in the Big 12. A name that uh, entered the portal that surprised most fans was Matt Lee, uh, now at Miami. When you heard about that, mm-hmm. what was what was your thought? I mean, Matt graduated, I believe. Um, I mean, yeah, that hurts. Matt's, Matt's one of the best centers in the country. Um, I mean, there are times where Matt's played. He's done a lot for UCF. He's helped a ton. And um, I haven't talked to Matt about his reasons for transferring, but if um, it's in regard to money, I think all of us would, you know, I don't know what everybody's job is, but if a rival company offered you more money, I think 90% of America would go to a rival company for a promotion. Um, So if that was the reason, I have no problem with that. If um, it was in regards to scheme or maybe he wanted to play in the ACC which is a great conference. Um, so be it. I mean, yeah, it sucks. And I was shocked and I, I wish I could watch him play for UCF. But at the end of the day, he graduated. He did great things for UCF. And I've heard that he also had his DMs many of times um, injured by passionate fans. So, um, no, I, I, I'm not upset with Matt at all. I understand completely why he did that. And I know he's going to do great things. Fans love welcoming the new guy in from the portal but they're not as kind right. when they leave. <laughs> I, I saw, oh yeah, I definitely saw that. I saw when I entered the portal, I had half the people going, that's fine. He, he stinks anyway. And then I have to be going, this guy's awesome, man. Have you watched his film? He's a dude. So yeah, that's, that's how it goes. Right. You mentioned you were out at the NFL PA bowl um, and, and practicing and obviously playing the game. Um, what was that experience like for you? What was it like kind of being in, in that setting with scouts watching you and a bunch of kind of uh, new, new guys you hadn't played with before? No, it was good. So the all-star games are, you know, they're different because you're with a bunch of guys who have all had success at their school and you're all there trying to increase your name and stuff like that. Um, I got a little bit unlucky. I ultimately, I didn't play in the game. I got injured on Monday at the first practice. I had sprained my ankle. Um, so I ended up practicing Tuesday, Wednesday. I didn't practice Thursday, Friday, and I didn't play in the game, which, you know, it stinks. I wish I was able to utilize that opportunity to help myself, but I couldn't, I, I wasn't able to. Um, but at the end of the day, it's cool. Scout interviews are cool. Um, scouts kind of mess with you. It's, you know, you have to like midnight just doing these interviews with people. And again, it's like speed dating, I guess. So um, that was cool. I met a lot of really cool people, a lot of former NFL guys, NFL PA reps, stuff like that. Um, the practices were great. The ones that I got to do where I'm at in my development is I played 10 years of football and I played 10 years at right tackle. And if you go to the NFL, you got to do both. And I've kind of just not done a lot of left tackle stuff. So I kind of challenged myself and I said, 
I'm going to just play left tackle at the PA Bowl and, and see how I do because I got to figure out now as opposed to like four months from now in a camp and they say, hey, you got to go to left tackle. I can't say, no, I actually can't do that. I've never done that before. So that's something about online play that not a lot of people know about. When you play one position for so long, switching is kind of like it feels like writing with your offhand because everything's flipped. Oh, my kick foot is now my post for my catch foot and my hands are flipped and everything's different. Um, from what you've trained for so long. So ultimately I played at left tackle um, for the practices and I'm still working on that development. Um, but yeah, just, just working on that. And I had gotten injured, so I didn't get to play in the game, but um, overall it was a net positive experience. Well, you got some positive feedback. I, I put on the screen here for oh, you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, playing left tackle, holding up well, says one guy. My favorite NFL draft blitz. Give them a free follow because I just love this analysis. 72 from UCF is a grown-ass man. Holy cow. And then learn the name Ryan Swoboda, left tackle from UCF. And Add I that to your draft lexicon. Uh, whatever a lexicon is. I appreciate so much that they, um, that they gave me a shout-out, and that is so awesome. Like you said, give them a follow. But I will – point out the irony in learn the name Ryan Swoboda and my last name is spelled wrong. So that's yes. pretty hilarious to me. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's very cool. So Ryan, if, if a team drafts you or signs you uh, into the league, what kind of play are they getting? What would you tell that team the day they call you and say that you're going to be part of their, their franchise? Yeah. They're getting a guy who is the best in the world at getting better. Um, I think I really excel at if I don't know how to do something, I will figure out a way to to learn and develop in that aspect. That's what I've done my whole college career. Um, I'm going to figure it out. I'm a guy that in the locker room, I lead by example. And I think I gain and learn just as much um, from everybody in my entire career of playing sports, high school basketball, high school football, my years at Virginia, my years at UCF. I've never had a losing season. I take a lot of pride in that. Um, so I think I've been able to take things from guys who are inherently winners and in all the winning that we've done. And I think I embody that just through my experiences. What do scouts uh, tell you when they talk about your height? That it an advantage or how, how do they evaluate? The, the yeah, I, I, um, I stole a, a scouting report of me. I just saw it like laying around. I just snapped a picture of it on my phone. And that's not stealing. It's it's Borrowing. Borrowing. Yeah. I like the way you think. Yeah, no. I um so I stole it and they said, you know, good size, has good film, um, understands the position, savvy, competitive, um, stuff like that. Doesn't necessarily have great bend in terms of knee relation and, and bending consistently, right? A lot of inconsistencies with bend. So what I wanted to show was just the ability to bend really well um at the PA Bowl at practices, and that's something like that I've just been working on. It's hard, you know. I've had two knee surgeries, and just trying to always, you know, bend and you know, bending your knees hurt when you, you know, have a couple of surgeries. But um, just being able to bend—that's that's the biggest thing for me. Um, it used to be, uh, you know, is he strong enough? And I think I'm going to test well enough at pro day where those questions will be answered. But when we do on the field drills, um, if you guys are there, just see how I'm bending. You can tell if scouts will be happy or not. If I look stiff, they won't be happy. That's the biggest thing for me is if I can bend. Um, how do you feel after a game for the next 24 hours? Okay. Not good. That's the short answer. <laughs> Not good at all. Yeah. Um, when I get home, they usually give us like a Chick-fil-A box or something. 
And if it's a night game, I just sit, I have like a lazy boy chair and I just sit in it. And like my ears are still kind of ringing from like the loud stadium and stuff like that. I'm kind of going over like, oh, this play was good. That play wasn't good. This play is good. And I'm still going like a million miles an hour, even though the game's over. Um, I can't eat my food. Like I can't eat after a game. It can be one o'clock. I just, I don't eat after games because like, I don't know, the adrenaline, I just can't keep food down. So when I lie in bed, that is like top three best feelings in the world. I'll just lie back in bed and I never want to move. Like it just feels so good. Then when I wake up Sunday mornings, that's probably the thing I don't like about football is waking up Sunday mornings because, Oh my God, I can't get out of bed. Um, just so much pain. And that's everybody that's football. I mean, um, I've had a plethora of injuries in my time, but you know, fans don't know that I, I battled through a um, really bad high ankle sprain this season in the Cincinnati game. Um, I sprained it right before halftime. Um, I was getting x-rays. I missed a drive because they were x-raying it. Um, I end up coming back in, finish the game. And then after the game, I take my cleat off and it is purple from like almost where my calf inserts down to like my toes, just completely purple. It's like a, like a beach ball or like a cantaloupe something. It was just so swollen. Um, and I'm like, God, and you know, it would have been better if I had just broken it because a bad enough ankle sprain, you might as well just break your foot. Um, so that was terrible, but that's the thing fans don't really know about. Um, and we play Memphis the next week and I got this foot when I get out of bed, I could not walk. Like, I remember, like, I had to, like, hold myself. I couldn't put weight on it. Um, and I didn't want to do anything. It was just my foot hurt so bad um, from that. But Memphis has a great D-line conference game. We just beat Cincinnati. Not going to not play, right? So then when you're in there, and I remember warming up at Memphis on that turf field and just thinking, like, dude, okay, I can't run, but I'm not a receiver, so I don't need to run. Just got to take your steps, you know, take every single pain pill that, you know, you can't read the label on and figure it out right and somebody told me something they go you know if you're out there and i get beat because you know i got a, a cantaloupe for an ankle and somebody you get beat around the edge nobody cares you know all 50 000 people in the stands you know probably like a million people watching at home nobody's gonna go oh my god his ankle hurts um nobody but my mom probably cared my mom's probably like oh i hope he's okay everybody else just get the job done you know what i mean and football players nobody's ever 100 percent. so everybody is battling with something. So um, that's something, you know, from a fan aspect, you don't get to see just kind of the mental battle because that Memphis game was one of the most mentally challenging things ever for me just because I remember waking up at the hotel in Memphis and getting out of bed like, dude, I can't I can't make it to the elevator. But I got a game to play at 3 o'clock today. Um, but that's football, and that's what makes it great, and that's the game within the game of, well, I can battle through this. If I can battle through that, that guy's not going to be able to battle through that. I can beat that guy. Um, and that's, that's the mental part of it. So um, just, you know, some insight. If, if you're a fan and you see your left tackle get beat around the edge, go, well, maybe he's got a, a cantaloupe for an angle. So, so you appreciate what you saw from Patrick Mahomes uh, against Cincinnati. You know what he was going through on every play. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. And when, when you're in a high-state game like that, yeah, you got to do whatever you can to win. And he did that. That was awesome. I saw him when he rolled out one time and he kind of backpedaled and then he shot up and he turned. He was like, oh, that hurts so bad. I knew exactly that pain. I, I Yeah, I've been there. Um, but yeah, Patrick Mahomes is a man. He's, he's killing it. You talked about uh, kicking back in the recliner, but when you're on a road game, uh, you're on the airplane. Uh, you don't get to relax much for those couple hours you're on the flight. Mm-hmm. 
um, shout out to Buddy. He's my, um, he sits in the middle seat in the emergency row. And after a game, the, the integrity of the seat middle thing, oh, this, this is my area. And yeah, I, I sprawl out on there and yeah, I get the emergency row, but yeah, no fun. Those plane rides, when you win, they're okay. If you lose, they're uh, pretty somber. Ryan, what was the toughest loss for you this season? Well, for me, it'd be Louisville because people were jerks. Because no. of that play. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, it's got to be Tulane the second time. Um, hmm. You know, I, I've, I'm 0-2 in championship games of my college career, and that's just – that's going to haunt me for a long time. Um, you know, I wish we could have we could have won – but, um, you know, Tulane's got a great team and they, they put a great effort together and, and stuff like that. Um, but no, that was tough. Walking off the field, which, by the way, we're, we're speaking about fans. I'm just, I'm throwing fans under the bus right now. They stormed the field and I'm walking off and I'm exhausted because, like, we, we were grinding that game. And I'm walking off and I'm pissed and stuff like that. And some Tulane fan just shoves me and he's like, like this tall on me and like probably like a buck 75 soaking wet. And I'm like, this guy would never do that if like the situation wasn't him storming the field. But like, you know, if we're just like at Publix, he's not going to do that. But, yeah, <laughs> And I'm already pissed off and I'm like, this guy's really lucky. I've got the emotional control right now to not freak out. Cause I know a lot of people would freak out right there, but yeah, walking off that field, that, that was very upsetting losing the game. We were, we were close, but not close enough. Speaking of Tulane, you, you mentioned obviously football players being tough and, and people not knowing. Now that the game's over and statute of limitations has kind of lapsed a little bit, how dinged up was John Rice Plumley heading into that game? Obviously, you saw him all week. We know he had the hamstring. Can you give us some insight to how, how bad injury, his injury was? And sort of, you know, a lot of people said he was really a warrior playing that day. What did you see from, from him all week leading up to that game? I have so much respect for JRP. Um, that game, I, I saw him, he could, he could barely you know, walking, he was trying to run and he got like this rubber band thing for his hamstring. I never seen something like it before, but I guess it helps. Um, but all week, I'm, I'm like, you would never know from him talking to you. I am like, Hey, how you feeling? Like, dude, I feel great. Like, I, you know, he's never showing, you know, the pain of it and all that stuff, but man, he was dinged up. And, and when you're, you're, you're an athlete like that and you got a hamstring, you just got no push. So, um, but you know what? He never he never wavered as, as a leader, and we're in the game. And you know his potentially most dynamic aspect of his game is is nearly taken away, and he's not wavering. He's he's leading the charge. And you know, I we all fully believe there was never a point where I was like, God, you know, our quarterback he just can't go. I believed in John Rice Plumley. I have so much respect for him and for what he did that day. Um, but ultimately, he probably shouldn't have been playing just because of it. But you're in a championship game. The circumstances dictated, and you know after that game, you know run them till the wheels fall off, and you got time to recover. But yeah, he probably shouldn't have been playing just based on you know the severity of the injury. Do you look back on this season as one of some frustration in that there were a lot of what ifs? There were some moments there, you know, beat Navy and what the implications are, and just so many of those moments that it was within grasp of a, of a, maybe a different season. Um, I wish that some things had gone differently. I wish we had won some some games that we ultimately didn't win. Um, I wouldn't trade for this the the season though. I don't I don't regret anything. Um, we played great football. 
I wish we could have put it all together um, a little bit better. I thought, um, you know, there are just times where I'm just looking, I'm like, God, we got one of the best teams in the country, but because of X, Y, and Z, we're just not putting it together at the right time. And that is frustrating, but no, we played a ton of good football. Um, the connections I made, the, um, you know, the um, experiences of being in the bounce house and winning games, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So yeah, there are times it was frustrating, but um, it's a net positive at the end of the day. I, I will never forget the season. Um, it was great. We, um, yeah, getting to the bowl game. I mean, we had, we had a great time at the bowl site. There's still I, movement to happen in the portal and position battles in spring camp and preseason camp, but what's your read on the Knights moving into the big 12? How do you, how do you think that first season will go? Oh, it's going to be exciting. I'm at, Oh, I am going to be on Twitter this season <laughs> and I will have no limitations and I will be on there and I will be a part. What do you guys call the, the mafia? Twitter mafia. I will be, I will be one of the Twitter mafias and I am so excited to do that. Yeah. Um, no, it's good. It's going to be a great year. Um, the O-line, the O-line is stacked. You got JRP coming back. The receiver room is elite. RJ Harvey is a guy. Johnny, Johnny Richardson's back. The defense B block there are amazing. You got Ricky Barber, um, elite edge rushers. You got a drop coming back. Um, first team all conference middle linebacker. Secondary, you got dogs. I mean, I mean, right now you're just on paper, and, and paper champions mean nothing. But um, there, there should be nothing but excitement. There should be no pessimism whatsoever when you look at this move coming forward. It should be all about the Knights. If the Knights put it together, it doesn't matter what the Big Twelve has to offer. And for you, is it NFL or bust, or do you consider that you might play in any other league that might give you an opportunity if it doesn't work the way you're um, in the NFL? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't really necessarily want to play in another league. Um, I'm going all in on the NFL. If um, ultimately the NFL does not work out, um, I played a lot of great football, but it's all about the NFL. It's been my dream um, ever since I was little. I'm um, getting decent feedback. Now it's just about working, being the best possible left tackle I can be and getting into a team and growing in that locker room and um, essentially trying to do what I did last year this time with UCF and join a new team, make a name for yourself, be respected, um, do it all over again. So I'm doing everything. I'm in, I, I'm in Minnesota right now. I don't know if I mentioned that with you guys, but. I'm in Minnesota. It was negative 11 degrees this morning. Oh, oh goodness. It was 82 in Orlando. You, know, you don't need to tell me that. <laughs> uh, that was not cool at all. Um, but, yeah, it was very cold here. But this is a, a specialty center for, for training, and we're, we're getting a lot of great work in here. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, I love Rocky. Rocky Four, where Rocky goes to Russia, and he's training in that winter. That's one of the main reasons I came here. I wanted to – just run in the snow with a log on my back and, and be like Rocky. So, yeah, that's – so I'm in Minnesota and I'm doing everything I can to be the best possible NFL prospect I can be. And then once the draft process is over, be the best possible NFL player I can be. That was my favorite moment of the year, by the way. I asked you yeah. about how the grading film and watching film, <laughs> you go into this whole grade the Rocky movie. <laughs> and that clip then went viral. Uh, so uh, why why was it Rocky Four over Rocky Three? That was the order, right? Now we are asking the right questions. Okay. Rocky Four is the best. I can't tell you how many people I'm just like walking around campus and they're just like, <laughs> yo, why is Rocky One so low? 
But no, okay. Rocky Four. Rocky single-handedly ends a Cold War with a boxing match. That is peak cinema. Can't beat that. Um, Rocky Three, um, Mr. T. That's that's classic, right? Apollo's training Rocky. That is that's yeah. That's one A one B. But yeah. And you were very dismissive of Rocky Five. It didn't even count in your book. No, that's um. You got the speech to the sun, which I can recite perfectly. I listened to that every day on drives to my middle school basketball games. I would just listen to Rocky's speech to his son when his son's like kind of being a little weird. And um, yeah, I listened to that every day. That that moment, iconic. The other two hours and X amount of minutes, garbage. Yeah, very good. Straight garbage. Yeah. Well, th- this interview's taking the right turn for us, Ryan, and you've been really, uh, you've been really uh, gracious with your time. But we like to end every interview with some rapid-fire questions, some random questions, music, movie, sports. Trace usually doesn't participate in this section; usually not on a part of the show. But he's gonna, he's gonna try this out for the first time. That it sounds like he's already there. So I've got some random rapid-fire questions for you. Answering questions or asking questions? I'm asking you questions. Okay. okay and cool. Trace is asking you questions. You're the star. All right, so we know that you're a, a prodigious dunker of the basketball. You told us that earlier. So if you if you could pick one of your uh, teammates from UCF and or coaches that you could dunk on, who would you pick? That I could dunk on? You get, um, just They're, they're or, standing or, right or, under the hoop. Coaches? Or coaches, right under the hoop. Just standing right under the hoop. Coach Malzahn so quickly, and I would <laughs> do it in the most disrespectful way, but it's all love. It is all love. But, yes, there are times in that meeting room where the little green laser pointer goes on you and there's nothing but hurt feelings out there that I would love to just dunk on Coach Malzahn for a little bit of getting cheap. All right, I'll take it. Funniest thing about Paul Rubel, we don't know. Oh, he burps randomly, very loud. Like, like, like they sound fake. They sound like out of a movie. Yeah, it's just, it's disgusting. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a time we're running out no, we weren't running out. We were walking out on the field before a game, and these camera people, um, they're always there, and they get these, like, cameras, and they put them in your face, and they try and do something cool. Um, and as an alignment, you never get that because nobody wants to see a lineman. So, like, there's a camera walking on us, and they're following us, and Paul just burps in the camera. And I'm like, dude, they can't use this now. Like, know where you're at. So, yeah, that, that's definitely the funniest thing about Paul. Paul's awesome. Yeah, Paul's my guy. All right, if you had to enter a food-eating contest and you needed to win, which food would you want to have in front of you that you feel like you could absolutely win the contest? Oh, some waffles and syrup because that's just math at that point. You go, you know, you eat three, three rectangles at this point, a couple of cubes here. Oh, it's just, you just, you can go through. I can go through some waffles. Yeah, I love waffles and syrup. Maybe that a feels heavy. There. That feels heavy, though, no? That feels kind of heavy. It's heavy for the other guy, too, in the competition. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Eagles or Chiefs? Ooh. Eagles have the best offensive line in football. That, that is all I will tell you. I'm going Eagles. Eagles all day. We saw your teammate, Tylen Grable, get a, a pass reception this past year. How many times did you go to Malzahn or Chip Lindsay and sort of volunteer for the, the, the end zone fade route or something like that? Um. I wish I had done more. And when I was at Virginia, we had a throwback to me. And in practice, it was, it was pouring rain, by the way. But in practice, it was right through my hands. And I have a feeling they shared that footage because mm. it wasn't even 
thought of to go to me. But no, Thailand did a great job because, you know, he's so athletic and he was running down the angle and he could have put the ball out and scored, but he didn't because, you know, ball security and stuff like that. So that was a heads up play by Thailand um, that, you know, I might not see all the time. Um, yeah. Most uh, famous. One, one more thing with that. Yeah. Um, when I was being recruited, they used that to try and recruit me. They're like, look at this play we got in the playbook. Maybe we'll uh, wink, wink, throw <laughs> to you. But then once you, you sign with the school, it's uh, you know no more. So I don't understand, though, Ryan. So think about this for a second. Third and one, mm-hmm. we are on the, the one-yard line. Why not put you at center and have you just one of those dives over the goal line? That feels like an easy money touchdown every time. I don't know the rules of football, but I don't think the center can. I don't know. <laughs> I That would be so cool until, you know, you got to – 350 pound nose tackle that squats 750 pounds and you go like this and then all your ribs break. So hmm. maybe that would, you know, not be ideal. Wait, when you put it that way, I guess I can see the problem. I, I like that quote. I don't know the rules of football, which reminds me, I recently <laughs> I spoke with Hunter. I know how to protect the pocket <laughs> and I know how to run power and inside zone. What, what more do you need, you know? I recently was speaking with punter Mitch McCarthy at a UCF basketball game, and he talked about football. He's like, I don't even understand football. <laughs> he, he understands punting, but he's like the rest of it. Yeah, Mitch you know. is hilarious. When Mitch first got here, we were talking, and Mitch was like, yeah, man, I just can't wait for the fans to see my first punt. I kind of go, but dude, like, nobody cares about punting. Like, punting. <laughs> he's like, are you serious? Like, he thought it was like an integral part of the game. Like <laughs> people are pissed when the punter comes out. Like nobody wants to see, but no, Mitch, Mitch is like one of the best punters I've ever seen. Yeah. Mitch is really good, but that was so funny. I can't help but share that. And he likes using the scooter all over the campus. Have you ever been on a, a scooter on the UCF campus? Um, I got on a scooter one time and it puttered and it kind of hurt my feelings. So no, after that, I did not get on a scooter. I think there's a weight limitation. It was not ready for you. Exactly. Exactly. What's the biggest disadvantage to being six foot ten? Uh, hotel showers. Yeah, you gotta like mm. kind of duck. You ever seen that scene in Elf where he's just like splashing the water? I've done that many times. So definitely hotel showers. Doing dishes also um, major liability in doing dishes because sinks are made to regulation. You just gotta bend down there, and by the time your back just hurts. So yeah, doing dishes in hotel showers. Everything else, major advantage, though. So, uh, Favorite guilty pleasure snack? Candy, salty something? So I'm not a big snacker, but there are these things. I saw at a gas station one time. Um, I was actually recommended by a really good friend of mine. Um, Oreo popcorn, right? And I think they only sell them at gas stations, but oh, they did every time. Yeah, it's like Oreo mixed with popcorn. I don't know what kind of, you know, cracked out person thought of this, but they are so good. Yeah. Oreo popcorn. All right. You, uh, you and Paul Rubelt one-on-one basketball. You, how much do you win by? Me and Paul play basketball. Paul is a freak athlete, but Paul is not a basketball player. Um, ask Paul to tell the story about he was um, in high school. I think he was, he was playing basketball and he had a, a open lane to dunk on like a fast break. I'll tell the story because I don't care. And he's going on a fast break and he goes to dunk it and Paul's like seven foot nine. And he goes up to dunk it and it hits the back of the rim. It goes flying and he says it goes out of bounds on the other side that it hit the back of the rim so hard. So that kind of gives you a visual of what kind of basketball player Paul is. 
But if Paul gave some time to basketball, I think he can make some money doing basketball too. But he'll make himself plenty of money playing football. I, I know that for sure. So if you had to pick a five-on-five five squad, so you and four of your teammates want to go to the UCF rec center and just run the court, right? Which four teammates are you picking to run with you? All right. Um, I don't know the skill set of a lot of guys. Kamari Gamble kind of looks like LeBron James, so that will be like my three. I'll take okay. myself as a five. Um, ooh, oh, Tylen, freak athlete. Let's put him at the four. We just got like a very solid um, front court. Um, I need some speed here. Let's go. Who's probably a really good shooter? Let's take um, – God, who's a shooter? I don't know. Maybe Anthony Montalvo. I just feel like he's a guy who, you know, maybe not the fastest, but he's going to be a knockdown corner three shooter. Let's put Montalvo at the two. So we got a really strong lineup. Now I need speed. Um, let's, let's, let's go Johnny Richardson at the one. I imagine you could push the tempo a little bit, make a lot of plays. Yeah, that's a squad. We'll run the court for sure. A UCF basketball player you think could make the conversion over to football? Taco Fall. Yeah. A taco what position? Fall? What oh. position? <laughs> Put him at uh, defensive end. That whole field's shut down. No pass is being passed the line of scrimmage. That's all I know. He just his big wingspan. Just <laughs> a fair point. It's a genius idea, uh, Ryan. Listen, you've been uh, super uh, grateful, uh, gracious with your time. We're really grateful to have you on the show. I know you got a lot of prep to get back to, so we'll let you get back to the cold of Minneapolis. But we appreciate you and, and your candor, your humor, your fun, and for spending a year with us uh, in the UCF Twitter Mafia. Even though apparently we were really mean to you, so uh, best of <laughs> luck to you as you move forward. I know you got a lot of people rooting for you, and hopefully we'll catch up with you real soon. Okay. Sounds very good. Appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks, All right. Ryan. Yep. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.